Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you coming out. You're a... You got to book a few weeks in advance to get Johnny Henderson, right? Yeah. <laughs> pretty busy, you, dude. Then you're away. I was in L.A. Yeah, Dream Center. That was pretty cool. We can talk about that, too. But uh, just uh, for people, that I've got you tagged on Facebook, so your peeps will know that you're here. Oh, cool. I don't know if it goes on your wall or to your notifications if you got them set that way. But uh, uh, tell, for those who don't know who Johnny Henderson is, and I'm anxious to get to know you because, you know, that brief little talk we had, at 21 days, I think it was. I'm like, dude, <laughs> like, I get some respect for your on-stage game. Uh, I think you get some mad skills there. And then, uh, you know, it seems to, especially with men, I, I'm, you know, I was there for men's group and whatnot, and we've got a really cool men's group. And uh, I'm struggling with some beliefs, and I think it's the changing of beliefs that I'm struggling with because I didn't think it would be so painful. Mm. I'm coming off some things I thought were true. I thought I believed in. Yeah. And my truth is switched to something else that, you know, after giving it more thought and being educated on it, maybe a little bit of wisdom. I'm not 24 years old anymore. I don't think like a 24-year-old. And so, like, we immediately went down the rabbit hole in a very short discussion. Well, like, yeah. oh, respect, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And I think that, in order to be a healthy human being, you have to um, hold everything lightly, like the universe in the palm of your hands. You know what I mean? Like, how is it? There's a parable about this. Um, uh, this it's like it's like this rabbi is walking down the street and he's got a coat, and in one po- pocket it says, "You are the most incredible value, valuable like image of the divine." And then it says, and then the other pocket, it says, you're nothing but dust, right? It's just this dialectic, like tension between like, you know, you have value and there's something intrinsic worth, but then at the same time, like, I don't know anything. I'm just like a speck. And so with that comes a level of humility. And I think that a healthy human holds those tensions. So they're not, their self-worth is established enough that they're like, okay, I'm grounded, but I'm open. You know what I mean? So, cause you can't be so like. You can't have zero grounding because then you just get used, cut, tossed in the wind, right? So you've got to be grounded, but at the same time, I have open hands. And so I think belief specifically and faith is a process of just constant death and resurrection, death and resurrection. The God I knew five years ago is not the God I know now. And I can say that with definitive, like the God I know now is way more colorful and way more dynamic and exciting and a lot more complicated <laughs> and and a lot less judgmental <laughs> than I thought maybe I, I, I'm was. about to say something I say often and I catch myself and I, th- it's, I say it with humor I'm like you Christians everything <laughs> and I, like I've been one my whole life but I grew up Catholic so mm-hmm. you, you got people that you feel sorry for that grew up Catholic that are confirmed Catholics <laughs> that are so screwed up now with, with God and church and stuff like that they don't know which way is up because of the well, I don't know. I think there's some intrinsic training that goes with the uh, the Catholic religion. No shot at Catholic. I mean, I, uh, yeah, yeah long it's, enough, it's funny because like what, fi- dude, what dude, I find is crazy because I do agree that there are some you know tenets of the Catholic Church that just kind of sh- hide and cloud the truth. But I mean, I'm listening to this guy named Richard Rohr right now, who's a Franciscan like priest. He's unreal. Like, oh my gosh, he's like what he's saying is profound wisdom, and he's just got this whole center for contemplation and action and he's just all about like just this you know emerging kind of faith and perspective on faith Mm. and it's just like it's coming from the catholic church and then so so yeah so i and that's something i because i used to be very much like oh yeah this stuff has tainted the water in terms of like my perspectives on certain certain outworkings of the christian faith but then like I'm always surprised at who I find. So this is this is what this is what it is is because it's so easy to say the Catholic Church, right? Because mm-hmm. then with that comes a lot of assumptions and a lot of 
presuppositions. Then your fixed memory. Your fixed memory. And you, yeah, so you, you have your own prejudice because mm-hmm. your brain doesn't like to simplify things. I mean, so your brain doesn't like things complicated. It needs to simplify them. So you boil it down to its simplistic form or narrative and you typecast things. And so therefore, and then you, and then that way you can log and categorize and move on. And so, so the Catholic church has that. And then they have a lot of a very bad PR problem right now, but individuals, there are some individuals that in representative in that faith that, that they've got something mm-hmm. They're like, it's so you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater because the individual sometimes like through whatever you feel about their tradition, they've got something. You know, you meet a mystic Catholic that has a relationship with this dynamic spirit of God and they're so kind and loving and self-serving, uh, like self-giving and like, it's just surprising, you know, you, so yeah, just that's, that's where I challenged myself because I, yeah, I definitely used to be on that front of kind of, yeah, no good. This is good. This is right. This is wrong. But then when you boil down to the level of the individual, you're just always surprised. Sometimes mm. poorly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're surprised negatively. You're like, wow, I didn't know you could be so judgmental and arrogant. Yeah. But then on the other side, you could be surprised at like. The triggers wow. a memory for me back in the day. I mean, my mother was never spiritual or religious of any sort when we were children. Uh, my father was Catholic. His mother was devoutly Catholic. Just she made the sign of the cross when she went when they drove by graveyards and churches and stuff like that. And I, that, that's cool. <laughs> I told my brother oh, that's that's superstition. I told my brother the other day he says uh you know he's always laughing I'm not Catholic anymore and I, I remember my eight year old niece said to him one time have you been baptized into another religion daddy no well then you're still Catholic you know so and I was fucking him the other day oh you're Catholic. I'm not Catholic I said dude you came to my church in the second row in front of the Greg Sykes show and did the sign of the cross in front of everyone. Are you kidding me? You're not going. <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's what I do. I'm like, that's, don't embarrass me like it's that. Probably just, I don't do that there. <laughs> probably just like a, a, joke safe, a safety blanket. Just going back to reverting to like what he knows. Yeah. So. But no, it triggers a, a memory in me. Uh, my mother wasn't uh, religious at all. She, she came to faith and it, the end of her life, um, not the end of her life, the last few years or what have you, she was having uh, a tremor from a stroke. Uh, and she was sneaking cigarettes at the apartment and when she shouldn't have been smoking, that's partially what caused the stroke. And she was younger, but yeah, this set her back a great deal. And uh, she was having a smoke and a tremor came and she crawled back to bed. But before she did, she put the smoke on. She said, you get me out of this one? <laughs> I'll never smoke another one. And the backdrop was Jimmy could never handle it. Well, you know, I don't, it was a bitch you losing my mom. It's been, you know, nine years and it's, it'll never be the same. But like, mm. anyway, um, she made a deal with God and she stuck to it. And it was like, she, I think she was a believer. She just didn't practice and she wasn't overly faithful. She didn't have any reason to. But when it came to making a deal for her life, that was important to her. Yeah. And she, it was important that she live for her family, you know, mm. and, and she stayed off smokes. And I remember the one time she was with a friend, a realtor friend of ours, you know, up to no good at her house. And she's like, I smoked with Jeremy. I said, you did not, you promised God you're going to, you know what's, you know, <laughs> she had cancer already then. I think she knew where she was, you know, it was going to be long for her, but she yeah. was, she felt very guilty that she had broken her pact with God, that she had a cigarette, you know what I mean? And she was she was being very cute about it, um, you know, unbeknownst to her. But um, yeah, and, it's, and it's, that it's, changed her life. She went to see Monsignor Tonus at St. Alfred's. Hmm. That was our parish, and she didn't have a connection. And he was a good. He's probably, if he's still alive, stud bitch. He's still a good looking, big, tall, powerful man. And he set her right straight, man. Like he told her, <laughs> "You carry this hate around in your heart. It's only gonna, you know, this thing hmm. she knew already." But he, like. She was in a really bad way for a while. There were mm. some really deep personal issues and that she had to resolve. And and this Catholic priest straightened her right out. And, and cool. you know, so much of it was a message about hate and forgiveness. And she forgave. And uh, yeah. it was either that or carried around with you. Right? So, but you see, we seem to see a whole lot of it out there as far as hate goes. Mm. And I'm trying to leave what little hate I have 
maybe it's a lot, I don't know. But it's placed in pretty specific places. <laughs> and I don't like moving it around much. But, you know, sometimes you just... I think you know. I think we should be more honest with our conversations and go. You know what? Yeah, I struggle with it. It's mm-hmm. there, and it's there for all of us. Whether it's just a thing like, oh, I don't know about you, your body shape or your voice, or you know, mm-hmm. when you just can't, you're not feeling somebody. And so many times that's happened. I, I uh, big brown, gay friend Josh, and he's flamboyant, and he's six five, and he's three hundred some odd pounds, and he's just he's a different guy. And I, the first couple times I saw him, I'm like. Yeah, you're not, you know, I judged him completely. And I got to know the guy, and he's a beautiful man. Mm. But, like, I was like, whoa, was that ever wrong with that? And you think about how many people we look at it from a distance and get it wrong. And I think we're all like that. And I think, you know, we're all Donald Trumps, unfortunately, mm. to a certain yeah. extent. <laughs> uh, it's It's true. And the reality is if we don't keep that part of ourselves in check, it's like a virus, and it'll take over. And then we, we constantly are filtered through the world is looking at like what's just what's wrong. And mm. and we're not able to take time to enjoy what's right and what's good and celebrate, you know, celebrate what's what in, was beautiful in people. And it goes back to what I was saying before. It's like our brains like to simplify things as they're shortcutting mechanisms. They don't like to work too hard. It's trying to save calories, actually. It's like a calorie. Because we're going to die because there's no food. Yeah, because there's no food. And so, like, that's why storytelling is the the easiest way for your brain to digest content because it doesn't have to work hard. And so your your brain is more likely to stay in tune with a story than if you just spout off facts. You Actually, your Hmm. retention levels 10 to 20%, you know, when it comes to just, like, facts and stats and stuff like that. But a story, you're looking at, like, you know, there's been studies like 90%. Retention. And so because your brain doesn't have to work very hard. And so with that, with that shortcutting mechanism, yeah, we just, we just love to simplify and judge and put things in, and hate comes out of that. And so, and you're totally nailed on the head when you said we're all Donald Trump. Cause like, I love to, uh, I love to, uh, you know, think that I'm superior <laughs> or like morally better than certain people, but, from from my faith bias from my perspective like part of what i believe the christian message is and in in the awe of the cross is this awakening moment that when faced with the reality confronted with like god in flesh like we will kill god in flesh like that's the that's the that's the depth of the depravity of the human heart is when when god comes to us and and, and even in the midst of receiving his death from us he says forgive them they don't know what they're doing like there's just profound that's that's where you get that showcase that profound love of the actual heart of god if that's the crescendo in the story of god like that's the clearest picture we have of god in the middle of receiving the death that our sin demands he like says like forgive them like and he expresses that that sense of a sense of love but i have to be acknowledged and realize is that the capacity of my human heart is the same what's what i'm capable of is the same as like know officer in a nazi concentration camp mm. that capacity lives within me right and, and, and so it's not too far a shift to get you to not. go from super good to super well super good there's a you know yeah yeah and so we could play the comparative game and i can i could mm-hmm. say all day that like oh next to that guy i'm an angel right yeah. you could you could be on the street like living on the street and you could be addicted to drugs and you're like well at least i'm not as bad that bad as that guy passed out with a needle in his arm like you always can play that game mm. right and so the game is not about who's better, or who's worse, but I believe that the, the, the game that we're supposed to play is like, what's the state and the condition of my human heart? And because uh, if, if we can, if we can step outside of judgment, step outside of hatred and only worry about, I actually, my wife always joke about uh, starting a hashtag worry about yourself campaign. <laughs> and so like literally just t-shirts, hashtag worry about yourself. Cause there's this, there's this video on YouTube. It's like this four, three or four year old girl and she's in the back seat and she's trying to do up her belts and like get into her car seat and her dad's trying to help her and she's just like worry about yourself worry about yourself worry about yourself <laughs> it's just a funny video so we always we always say that but it, it's actually so true it's the kind of the parable jesus said like you're pointing out like the speck in that guy's guy eye when you have like a plank in your own eye and mm. so and, and i think yeah i think that 
what we're required to do is actually the thing that we are supposed to judge you're supposed to be critical of is actually our own heart and if everyone made that their primary journey in the world and only worried about their own human heart the world would be a much better place yeah it seems so human so natural and so simple to be the broken egotistical judgment machines that we are um it will just look at social media i even look at you know what i post on social media and i said to somebody the other day like that is not me that is a social media profile and that guy's angry he's mm. pissed off at politics he's pissed off at a whole bunch of stupid people what i consider to be stupid and i actually feel like <laughs> like i could start some conversations or help people see the you know like really seriously and i think most of the time it comes out of ego judgment and pride like, mm. I've got something. Like, I love to teach. But if you're not teaching something healthy, and no one's going to learn anything by following you on Facebook. But every yeah. post I post is probably tinged with a little bit of, I know something you don't know, which mm. is garbage. It's so untrue. You, you, but so it's, here's, here's the I don't think I'm different than anyone else. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I, I appreciate your vulnerability because, like, no, most people wouldn't admit that. Most people wouldn't be like, it's coming from, like, ego. Like, most people, are, most people aren't that self-aware. Well, I, like, and this way like, you're here because I, I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. I'm trying to figure it out. Because I, I, don't. I appreciate that. That's a healthy, the healthy dose of self-awareness. Here's the irony is that confrontation-based communication – is the least likely method of communication to actually convince people of your position. Hmm. So we have us. So coming from anger. So yeah. And judgment so coming from anger working. and judgment, it, it, it just won't work. It doesn't work. So we have a lot of these protective mechanisms that our brain has. One is confirmation bias. We're not actually looking for what's true. We're looking for proof of for what, what we, we already believe. believe. And that's why I always say, say like fundamentally faith is at some level, like it's metaphysical it's like even irrational it comes mm. from an experience like i had a profound experience where i felt hopeless and lost and then all of a sudden i emerged into this new way of being and then therefore i started to my confirmation bias kicked in being like okay i'm starting to see the world this way and i'm finding things that match up with that new worldview right and i'm starting to build instead of what i was previously doing was finding things that built on my old worldview and so you don't actually look for truth you look for proof for what you want to believe so in an argument People are just picking out that things that add to their argument. They're not looking objectively at what you're saying and saying like, oh, that's a very interesting thought. Maybe I should consider that. And then there's also the backfire effect, which when faced with confrontation, people are more likely to get deeper. And there's like research around it. Double deeper down. And rooted down. Yeah. down into their own perspective and belief. And so, and thank God, Trump's just brought this right to the surface for everyone to see yeah. that you're all the same. Yeah, and mo you know, most people aren't seeing the hate that they have for Trump is what they claim he's got for. Like, I mean, it's you're so, just like looking in the mirror, and people just don't get it. And I just, it's true. And yeah. like, yeah, it's it's um, I believe that I don't want I don't know if I should get into this. <laughs> I believe that Trump is a personification of of the american heart he is he is america personified and some people don't like that but then in the process of them not liking that they're the personification of the american <laughs> heart <laughs> which is very like uh, yeah it's a very divided I mean, donald and I, I i'm not a voter i'm not a supporter i i don't think that i mean he's entertaining but he's a complete buffoon he's like I think he's just learned how to play the game. I think he's learned that if you say something enough, there's a certain crew that will just think it's true. And it's yeah. like, I think he's, I seriously think he's playing a game. So, like, this, this yeah, guy so could go down he, as one of the most brilliant manipulators of our time. I mean, he's not even a politician. He got elected to the top office. I st I'm still well, trying that new to figure Mike, it out. I don't know if you that new Michael Moore documentary, Fahrenheit 11-9. No. Uh, Fahrenheit I guess that's his inauguration day because he's Fahrenheit 9-11, right? Right. And so when he was saying that his first presidential like campaign address was actually because he found out that some other celebrity was getting paid more per season and he was just making a stink about how important he was and it was actually just a press stunt, but it picked up so much traction he decided to actually run for president. Wow. 
and that's what Michael Moore kind of says in his documentary. I don't know. I used to be a man of a uh, fan of Michael Moore, but uh, he's uh, <laughs> a lefty now. It's yeah, unbelievable. yeah. Um, like so, I'm okay with you being a lefty. Just be objective. And this is what you know. When I hear you about building confirmation bias, I, I get it, and, and, and I love. And we'll get into a little bit of psycho, uh, psychological assessment uh, or, or con- topics. You know, it's kind of like I call it like the you know the girl with the the person with the tray of beer, cold beer here. You got this thing around it on the tray. And your lie is there. And you go selling it. And you sell it. And all your friends are like, oh, yes, you and your lie. You. And, and they they confirm you. Mm. But your good friends that know you really well, that care about you buying into this lie that you've created, are the first ones to call BS on it and go, um, yeah, that's don't bring that around here. I'm not buying that thing. That's not true. And here's the evidence. Here's all the reasons. And I think that's uh, that's – yeah. Similar to the game he's playing, and uh, I don't know. I yeah, think so he, I, I've he, got a lot of gratitude for him because, one, everyone's talking politics now. The, the, politics are not a conversation that most people have. I have it uh, daily. I know, but I'm addicted that way. So, And <laughs> I think that everyone is talking politics now. Everyone, yeah. everyone, and whatever the flavor of the day is or what have you. And so I'm grateful for that. And at least... Like now, I can spot a narcissist probably from fifty feet. <laughs> yeah, because I think he he's on the spectrum that way a little bit. It's all about him and yeah. shifting yeah. blame and stuff my, like that. So uh, I, the, I try the, to spend the my beginning time and end of what I feel about Donald Trump is basically I don't I you know what I don't care what you, like you feel about his policies or his politics, but I just find it odd people actively celebrating somebody who is fairly morally bankrupt Hmm. like as a human being like he doesn't have a good he doesn't have a good moral stature and that just makes me a little bit sad yeah but that's not very different from many of the last presidents no and it's not and again i was it's it's kind of a certain it's really just a more characterized version of who america is and has been like it's not Mm. it's nothing new on the street like even what he's doing is nothing new it's just that he's just more hateable, right? And so, um, but yeah, I just, yeah, I don't love the celebration of a person who maybe has these massive, I would say massive moral deficits in terms of his character mm-hmm. as, a, as a person and how he treats people. And so, because I value, I value dignity, I think, because, yeah, I think dignity is just basically an acknowledgement that like, you know, human beings are the extension of the divine. And dignity is just an acknowledgement of that. Mm-hmm. And so when someone doesn't have dignity for everyone, I just, that's where I struggle. <laughs> but, yeah. Tell us what's going on with the youth. Uh, uh, Derek Overholt just said hi, so I'm sure you know who he is. It's hey, Derek. Hang, hanging out at the church. And uh, I got to sit in with your last production uh, last year for uh, YCM, was it? CYM, CYM, Central Youth Movement. Uh, they had. Well, did, did you always have the live? Uh, we we portion of it because that it used man. to be only live, and so now now we're groups focused, trying okay. to focus on relationship and conversation. Right. Is there any growth. chance that that live thing will so, come back? Because he, I thought that was pretty. I yeah, I wasn't very deep into it. Uh, yeah, Benjamin yeah. asked me to come on. Yeah, I know he's, you know, he's off at school and stuff like that but he thought there was a lot of value in that, that yeah yeah that. so never, what could be cooler than a bunch of kids running around playing with all that expensive equipment <laughs> that's <laughs> so, true that's true pretty cool yeah no we put that put those resources kind of into um uh the niagara youth collective which is kind of all these churches in niagara coming together and doing these massive rallies and so we've been doing these big rallies at laura secord our last one had like 250 plus students in the middle of a snowstorm, <laughs> which is cool. Uh, yeah. So what is it like? Uh, like so, worship? Uh, yeah. So it's just kind of like uh, there's like games, there's prizes. It's like a fun, just like a hype use event. And then there's, so were you all in the auditorium music. type of thing? Yeah, worship music. And then there's a speaker. Our last one we had uh, this guy named Jason Ballard, who was the kind of lead guy in a video series for Youth Alpha, and so uh, well known guy. He's spoken all over the world and we actually had him come in and speak and it was really it was really good it was awesome we're planning another event uh for june as well at laura secord and so okay yeah so it's just a great opportunity we're rallying around this thing called alpha which is it's actually just a program um that students can run in their schools um and 
it really just creates a non-threatening place for people to have non-judgmental discussions about faith because like you can't have those you don't you don't get the opportunity to have those discussions yeah and and so uh yeah it just gives and and even like the alpha training and stuff like that it actually equips students to to not have the answers and to give people a space to just share what they feel and to not try to force worldviews on people and to kind of just yeah talk about a christian perspective on things and life and god and um it's really cool and so we rally around that a little bit um and just encouraging students to make a difference and impact their impact their schools and so as churches we come together and we've been doing that and so yeah it's just kind of following the the path of of bill's vision of like an agra serving church is that where they're yeah so somebody mentioned that the other day unity unity has just been a, a massive theme for me and and like even within central it's like how do we're better together right we could do so much more when we're kind of united and so because we can you can divide for a thousand reasons we love to divide mm. and stay in our little camps and stuff and so yeah there's we just we could just make a way bigger difference if we choose to be united to make a larger impact and inspire and encourage students to yeah it's interesting somebody from somebody said the other day uh, they were talking about diversity and how you know diversity is always uh touted as the this huge benefit on society and that diversity really only works when you have people that are rowing the boat in the same direction so mm-hmm. you're on a you're on a team you're in the army you're in a church diversity is all well and good because you're all going the same way yeah as soon as you don't have that same u- unifying life purpose or whatever it is yeah a job to do then diversity because well it everything divides you oh yeah whereas sure. everything when you're on the same team even if it's a divisive issue somehow it it brings everyone together yeah and That's, i just thought yeah, wow that, that is that true i'm trying it on and it, it makes me think of like i had all these confirmation bias too on all these things i thought i knew so like what kind of space did i get into at where that i could change my mind where i could go wait a second and i'm still like i want to be that guy i don't want to ever think that i know it all and i've made up my mind and i'm learning and and like but there were some big things like capital punishment and you know when is life i've watched the crowder video on Mm -hmm. uh change my mind you know i'm pro-life i'm i was always pro-choice it's how i grew up in political speak Mm -hmm. you know i was a green party lefty and sounded good to me so i had all the speaking points and i could argue it to the death but you know the green party would also stand up and say oh we're pro-life we respect all life oh wait a second except that like they'll go out and they'll protest at marineland Hmm. (laughs) but they won't stand for a six-month-old fetus because it's not a baby yet it's not born yet so yeah i wonder i wonder where i like what place did i get to that that allowed me to go wait a second that doesn't sound like a good solid opinion <laughs> like they're killing a million babies a year in one country in the world like wow so anyways i'm rambling now i can't remember where we're going but uh yeah um i wonder like we display so much of it and then so what do you have to do to open yourself up to be available to say hey maybe i should consider that point of view because i think so many people are just cemented yeah and- I, I was asking uh I asked this leader that I really respected. I was like, how do you, in a world that's so divided, that's so dualistic and polarized, because I think oh, dualism is actually the fundamental error that we're currently operating in. Black and white, left and right, up and down. And the world's so much more complicated than that. <laughs> There's a lot of gray. Like, I, I would say, I would say I'm a very, I'm a, I'm a very conservative liberal. Because I fundamentally don't think that our job is to monitor human behavior. You know, I mean, obviously we need laws. We need to keep, you know, we need some order and structure. But like my job, I believe, is not to monitor every decision that you make and to and to place judgment on that. And so it makes me very liberal, but at the same time, I'm very conservative because what I fundamentally believe for myself is 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 I would say it was traditionally conservative. But I do believe that people should have a scope of free will that maybe stretch way beyond what I would agree with morally. Mm-hmm. And so so that's a complicated worldview. That's not like I'm left or I'm right. I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a mix. 
And, and so, um, so anyways, I asked this leader this question. I was like, how do you, how do you have conversations in a world that's so polarized? He's like, be genuinely curious. Someone has a worldview that you cannot stand or you don't understand, actually care, actually trying to understand where they're coming from. And the crazy thing is you'll find out that find, you'll find some like deep hurt mm. or you'll find like, you know, something in them that's made them hate, you know, you'll find, or you can backpedal far enough that you can find something that you both commonly agree on and then kind of baby step up into the, where do you differ? Because there's, there's some, yeah, point when there's a like convergence. There's yeah. like a, yeah, absolutely. And so, but that, that was really inspiring to me. It's like, okay, be, be genuinely curious. But I think even for you to get to the place of curiosity with somebody who has a different opinion than you, um, you have to, uh, you have to not see the world dualistically. You have to, you have to push your oversimplifying brain to be like, the world is more complicated than right and wrong, black and white. And I'm saying very uh, postmodern. <laughs> I'm actually from the definition of postmodern. I'm like, words have meanings. Meanings matter. Let's deconstruct. What do you mean by that word? That's what I usually, that's usually I am. But the world is, is more complicated. So, I, and it's so funny because we're like, we get angry with people being like, oh, they're so left or oh, they're so right. And we're reinforcing the label that they, we don't want them to have. <laughs> we're actually like, we're actually polarizing things more by, by, by stating objectively that they are this and they're not giving, giving them the opportunity for them to be more dynamic. Right. Cause you actually get into it. Then maybe there's, there's actually something dynamic about what they're saying, but there's mm. truth. And that, that truth that you might also agree with is informing the decision. You just have different kind of ways of outworkings of that truth. And so, cause fundamentally even like the left, um, they're, they're rudimentary based out of compassion. Like they, they sure. just, they just want, they want everyone to do whatever they want. They just want to be nice to people. They want to be compassionate. The problem with that is that again, it's dualistic. It's, su- uh, it's not dualistic. It's oversimplified. It goes like the same root kind of thing. It's, it's an oversimplistic view of the world. So compassion when left to its own devices and becomes an ideology, mm. becomes this rigid, just simplistic form of looking at everything in the world can become harmful because compassion sometimes to somebody who like, needs a sense of you know guidance and reorienting of their life and their priorities and just blind acceptance of that just might not be the best thing for them right mm-hmm. and so there's a the balance of that dialectic of truth and love right and so um so anytime you oversimplify people in the world uh you you stop listening and you're unable to engage that conversation and so, because it's always more complicated than you than mm. you think, <laughs> and there's so much gray, and it's just talking about ones and zeros and blacks and white and black and white and stuff like that. And you're right, and uh, yeah, those deep uh, philosophical questions are always so interesting to me, and I think that now they're more important than they ever have been because, well, are we getting to a better? level of communication now with social media not that that's a form of communication but even these long form type of interviews like what we're doing here there's no commercial breaks i don't have to wind up for you know every nine minutes for something you know to sell Mm. an ad Uh, i wish i had but um (laughs) it's and you get your chance to say your piece (laughs) you know it's not like they're they're not like chopped up little sound bites and i wonder how traditional media stays alive selling an ad every five or ten minutes on radio or, uh, you know, the same news recycled every quarter all day. It's, like, yeah, it's funny. Cause I, I, when I go to my parents' house, f- my parents are, they're caught in like, they're just, I haven't, I haven't had cable. I, mean, I can't even tell you how long I don't even like remember last time I had cable. And so they just leave the TV on and it's running all day. And like the ads after ads, I'm like, it's so funny to me that you pay to see so many ads. Like that's just such a foreign concept. And so, yeah, I think, I think like, has it, yeah, we moved past this. Has it no got the memo? Like my parents haven't got the memo. Like we moved past this. Like we don't pay to watch ads anymore. No, we skip by them. We <laughs> yeah. record everything. We fast forward over it or we steal or from the internet or something. Put an ad blocker and we don't, yeah. we, we avoid it. And so. Yeah. Ad blocker was a dream. What's, what's funny. What's interesting is that people want to avoid targeted ads like crazy. They're but spooky though. 
They are spooky sometimes. Because your phone's not even on. You don't even use the internet. And all of a sudden, okay. you're talking to your buddy about, you know, you need a bicycle pump. And a bicycle pump's the next <laughs> ad on I Facebook. swear, they love you. The weirdest one I ever had. This is, this is crazy. Is um, uh, my wife and I have a foster daughter. And she, she came in. And she had, like, literally five broken Blackberries from, like, her adolescence. And I was like, she's like, you're not going to be able to sell these things. Like, nobody wants to buy a broken Blackberry. All right, those are the words that came in my mouth. I'm not even joking. Five minutes later, I open Instagram, selling used blackberries. Like what a random ad! Like some online pawn shop selling, and I'm like, I'm talking like an album of photos on Instagram. Like swipe blackberries, 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 blackberries. I'm like, okay, that's that's not soap. That's used blackberries. <laughs> so same weird. thing with the microphones yeah. uh, before i uh got microphones i was looking around for microphones what do you think came up the exact microphones i was looking at all the time i'm like and then quora i, I, I uh, subscribed to quora i didn't really know what it was but it's like a discussion group or what have you and um every email digest was only about one thing narcissism Recovering from narcissism. What <laughs> See, is Google, narcissist? Google. Well, how to get back at a narcissist. Like everything was all about narcissism. I'm like, well, that's weird. You, you know, because I've never really been at Quora. And what, what, what's this all coming from? So other the other day, I was Googling something, how to use something in a sentence. I can't remember what the word was. What does Quora send me the next week? How to use so, such and such in a sentence. I'm like, ah. Oh, Guys, we're in my friggin' search. Yeah. So Google got an audio clip of you talking somewhere, and they were like, this guy has a voice for radio and is a friggin' narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> and so he got blasted. Stop. Cut. Got blasted. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Say goodnight, Johnny. Yeah. There goes Johnny. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, no, the stuff like I search on Google – like I get that because I'm like Google. Google's that's like, fair game. It's fair game. But the stuff yeah. that you just say and you're like, I've never typed that. I never. Like, and your I, I've only thought that. <laughs> yeah, there was actually a story of like a dad finding out his daughter was pregnant because they sent ads to his house because predictively, his daughter was pregnant, and so he got this whole. Th- I don't know. He got something from the. Anyways, and he ended up finding his daughter was pregnant. <laughs> they sent her all this stuff before she even like. Yeah, it was super weird, honey. Is there something you want to tell me? No. no. Why? Well, Daddy's been getting a lot of ads for diapers and yeah. preschool. Yeah, every time I go on the home computer, it's all diapers and. You know, I like the old days when I used to get some hardcore porn. Like at least they knew my search habits. Yeah, I bet there's probably some students who've gotten in some serious trouble based on uh, how the ads have changed. <laughs> like, yeah. even just like being like, you w- want to order more medical marijuana? <laughs> it's like, shoot, I got. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not it's very many people have home computers. Delete anymore. search history just doesn't cut it anymore because no. Quora's got it, Facebook's got it, Instagram. Well, they are all in Bentdale and you know, yeah. same owners, but. Yeah, what's That's the awesome. what's the name of the supercomputer in uh, Terminator? Do you remember? No. no, he's got it. Uh, what was it? Uh, I can't even remember the supercomputer in uh, Odyssey two thousand one. What was it? Al. Al. Was it Al? Al's got it. <laughs> <laughs> Al's got it locked and loaded. You can't get rid of it. The, um, the AI is coming for us, man. These robots are almost human now, and once they figure once they figure out how to, they can learn past our. Um, a functioning learning ability. Oh uh, I don't know. I can't. That's that stuff's tripped me out. Mm-hmm. Like the the Google had to shut down one of their AI like streams because it was learning how to better translate and it created its own language. It was translating between English and Chinese or something like that, and it created its own medium language. So it started to communicate this medium language to make the translations, and it was AI, and it had to shut down because like we don't know what it's saying. <laughs> It's like that stuff scares me. It's like just shut it down. It's good. It's good. Because because every every science fiction AI movie has the same premise where it's like it's the out of control computer. You, you no, you give you give AI the super con, con like sentient AI the ability to make decisions on behalf of humanity, and they always are like, "Yo, you're the problem." 
so we're going to kill you all. <laughs> like, that's pretty obvious. This world would be much better if you weren't on it. Everything would be thriving. So that's literally the team. want to take care of all the oceans and trees and the climate and everything oh, yeah. like that? There's a simple cure for it. Just exterminate the human race. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's one that truth even... that the humans are not willing to admit that the the supercomputer would be the first to get right and say, yeah, you, yeah, you got the some of the problem. But I, I, like, are we that disillusioned that we don't know we're <laughs> the problem? Like, yeah. we don't know that, like, yeah, maybe maybe we should probably stop using plastics and, like, you know, fossil yeah. fuels. And, like, you know, you could. But every time could... we think we're up against it, we've got peak oil, we've got uh, mountains of plastics in the oceans. Uh, we've got climate change. We've got a population of seven billion now. There was a time when they predicted that seven billion was two billion too much, right? Mm. And now, you know, I, I said to someone the other day, we could be at twenty billion, and still say, well, still lots yeah. of oil, still lots of oxygen, still lots of rain, still lots of you know, yeah. Still I, lots I'm of not dark, as still I'm not as nihilistic as a lot of people out there. I'm like, I believe that, like, I believe that. Because we, there is a level in which perception dictates reality. So I believe the world's going to collapse. I don't want to get too deep in this, but I, metaphysically, I believe that there is actually like you increase. Have you seen Tomorrowland? Tomorrowland no. has the same premise. It's everyone like, thinks of the everyone same thinks thing. the world's going to end. So the world like begins to end. And so, but I do believe there's something to that. I believe that there is some sort of. So I, I, I like I don't get into that headspace. I don't think it's helpful. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like. I'm a pastor, so I'll use the Bible. But Paul says everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. And so there's certain things in the world where I'm like, yo, we don't have to be doing this anymore. Why are we still doing it this way? But it's like you always follow the muddy trail. But it's like things for me, things like why aren't we doing renewable energy? Even if like you can debate global warming, whatever. Like it's just it'd be better if we were using renewable energy. Would it not be like why don't we just do that? Like and so sometimes it's just it's yeah, humans are fickle and you know the money ends up winning at the end of the day and yeah. robots would see through all of that and be like yeah you're greedy and you're killing people and the world's dying because of you we should probably just start eliminating you <laughs> like that's what <laughs> it wouldn't take long for you, for an autonomous squad. autonomous machine to decide that yeah yeah you think you're the reason why the world sucks <laughs> <laughs> now um tell us a little bit about your former life because I have a feeling that you were uh, Johnny Henderson, out of control maniac at one time. You were all, weren't always a you know walking a straight line pastor type of guy, were you? Uh, no, no? <laughs> I don't know if I still am. How though. long did it take you? To, how long before you said, you know what? Yeah, so I didn't grow up in like I didn't grow up in a faith based home at all, and so and the morality itself was pretty loose in my home, okay. and so like. Yeah, so at 16, I basically found myself completely morally bankrupt. And so I... Um, How did just, you know? Well, it, there was a distinct moment. Most people don't have like a wake-up call kind of moment. For me, it was like getting beat up at a party and sleeping in a park and waking up and not having any friends and everyone being like, we're done with Johnny. He just doesn't know how to control himself. He's always drinking way too much and he's always causing trouble and he's just... Yeah. So it was your doing. <clears throat> oh, yeah, totally. I brewed that. I brewed that myself, and so into a beating and sleeping in a park. Yeah, and woke up friendless and hopeless, and said, "This, this is it." Yeah, and I, I became really angry, depressed. Not just like depressed, but like angry. I wanted the world to burn. You mean as a way to being, or that like, day? like, like after that for the next couple months, and so okay. uh, I wanted to watch the world burn. Like I hated myself. I hated everything. I hated everyone. Um, and then these kids at school kept inviting me out to their church, which was central. And, uh, I decided eventually one day I was like, oh, fine, I'll check it out. Like, they're bugging me. And I'm like, I went and basically laid out, like, fundamentally, you keep going back to these, these modes of being where Habitual like, ways of being. yeah. So like you, you know, you, and to try to find meaning in life. And for some people, it's drinking. For some people, it's drugs. For some people, it's sex. For some people, it's money. For some people, it's popularity. But you keep going to those things, and it's this empty cycle you keep going back to. And you wake up in the morning, the next morning, and you feel empty. And you feel like this void. And you, so you immediately start searching for that thing that's going to satiate 
that emptiness and then you find it again you feel that kind of moment of like oh this is great then you wake up and you feel empty and basically explain the cycle of life that i was living in and just kind of shared that like there's a whole different way to live life and that like i could be forgiven i could have a fresh start and that i could like have purpose in life and i had never heard anything like that like it was so foreign to me and it hit me like a ton of bricks and so i remember i went home that night and my mom was like you went to church tonight how was that it was so foreign to my family like what you went to church it's so weird and i remember i was like i couldn't find words to describe like what i experienced because it was like my whole life i've been learning in my head and like how i can use whatever information i'm collecting to manipulate the world to get what i want out of it so it was just like yeah so how do i get more friends how do i be cool how do i how do i try to like you know satisfy this thing lie steal do whatever i was just like i was just mixed up and i was just trying to collect every information i can to benefit myself and then so my my whole life of my my whole worldview and experience is built up here and then all of a sudden that night a conversation descended into my chest into like the core of my being I, a place that i didn't even know was there like a, a part of like my soul and like it was like ooh what is this i'm feeling i'm feeling a way of being that i didn't know was out there and and so so i was i remember i tried to find would words to describe that i i would describe it as like fundamentally like an awakening experience like like an awareness of something an awareness that there's more to what is real than what i had known it was like I always explain Which it like it's pretty easy at sixteen. Like let's face it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, think you know everything true. at sixteen. I always explain it like like there's like you you live in the, the, your life is like a house, right? And you and you've explored its rooms, you know, you've tried all these different things and like and, and, and some people have a lot of life experience, you know, they've tried the women, they've tried the drugs, they've tried this, they've tried the gambling, they've tried, you know, making lots of money and whatever. You're like, Oh, okay, I guess this is what life's got to offer. I've seen all the rooms, I get it. And so I'm just going to kind of live over here. This is what I've decided. But then like when you have that like deep spiritual encounter, it's like God's like, oh, come down this hallway. And you're like, what hallway? And you go down this hallway and he opens up a door to a room that you didn't even know was in your house. It was like that. It was like I walked into a room. I'm like, oh, I never I didn't even know this was here. I didn't know life could look like or feel like this. Mm. And so I remember I sat down on the couch. My mom, my mom was like, how was church tonight? And I was like. It was good, but like good had like this weight on it. Like it was like the word. Is she feeling it to a new meaning? Well, she felt it a couple weeks later because no, she didn't feel the weight of your word good at that moment in time. I mean, I think she did because like I was like pensive and contemplative, which is like wasn't my mode of you know working in the world. I wasn't. I'm yeah. not. Was it naturally like this very like stoic contemplative <laughs> type at 16? And so she knew something was up. But it was a couple weeks later for my mom where um, I, walk, I walked in the kitchen. It was a couple weeks, about a month later, where I started to like kind of walk down this road and start to explore things. And I had a moment of like r- like serious awakening where I was like, I think I, I think this is the road I'm going down. And um, my mom, I, I was like, Mom, I need to talk to you. Can we talk in the kitchen? My mom like got real nervous. She's like, oh, crap. Like someone's pregnant. He's going to go to jail. Like, there's some serious trouble. Like, Does she have previous history of you saying, Mom, we're going to talk in the kitchen so that she knew? Like, you I had mean, to set it up as a like big deal or just out of order? Yeah, I mean, like, my parents dealt with a lot. <laughs> like, I remember their like their one anniversary having to come home, you know, or, or walking home, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm super stoned and drunk, and they had, like, come, like, leave their kind of anniversary vacation because I didn't come home that night, and, like, you know, they just dealt with a lot of just like teenage, you know, trying to figure out the world stuff. And so, and I wasn't in a space where I was lying. I lied about everything. Like I never told my parents the truth. And so I was just in this, I was in this space of dysfunction. So for her to imagine the worst case scenario was probably easier than oh, a better case gotcha. scenario. Okay. And so, um, yeah. So I, I said, mom, I need to talk to you. And she like got real nervous and I was like, Hey, I just want to let you know that that you don't ever have to worry about me again. Like God's changed my life and I'll never be the same. And I just want to let you know I'm okay. I'm gonna be good. And my mom was like, for her, that was the moment that, that, that God in this like intimate, real sense became like real to her in, wow. in a way. 
And so, because for her, she kind of grew up with some, like, she was American. She grew up with some kind of, like, you know, Billy Graham and, and some level of, like, Christianity. But it was very much like, you know, you sprinkle it on top of stuff. But it wasn't this real dynamic. And she even actually went to my dad and said, like, John, I think, I think God did something to Johnny. <laughs> like, he's so different. Because I literally went from lying all the time, constantly just getting in trouble and, and whatever, to, like, being like kind and honest and like thoughtful <laughs> and so i remember even in high school kids were like yo what the heck happened to johnny like he's so different and so i you know it's always a journey but so you didn't hit your head what do you mean you didn't bump your head and like you know there's the stories <laughs> of sam kinnison he you know hit his head really hard alex jones hit his head really hard and then they became these brilliant they had a personality change too, right? Really? That's funny. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I oh, didn't hit major my head. traumatic head injury. I d- but I do believe. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. <laughs> I do believe the God experience is located in like the 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 right hemisphere of the brain. So the logical hemisphere is your left, where you do all your processing, analytical thinking. Where it tells you that God can't possibly exist. The yeah, that's the brain that tells you like no, like deductive Duh. reasoning, like vis a vis science, and the, you know, like it's not. It's immaterial, so therefore it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so that's your that's your that's your left brain, but your right brain, that's where I believe that it, it would be like the antenna for spiritual experience. There's a really good TED talk called "A Stroke of Genius," and there's this neuroscientist who had a stroke, and her brain, the one half of her brain, kept shutting off. And After so, the stroke? No, during the stroke. Oh. But she was self-aware enough as a, like a neuroscientist to be able to deconstruct her experience having she a stroke. She wrote it all down. Yeah. She, so so she, in the TED Talk, she explained it. But she said she was dialing 911 and she went like, oh my gosh, I'm having a stroke. Her, her left brain's firing. Oh my gosh, I'm having a stroke. I need to call, I need to call 911. Mm. And she goes to press 9 and all of a sudden the world goes yellow. And she feels like one with the universe. And she's having this like almost out of body experience. And all of a sudden, her her left brain like kicks back in, and she's like, and she's You're like, dying. oh my gosh, nine, one, and then boom, like because the stroke was cutting off her ability to use her left brain, and so her whole basically whole research changed. She so she went mm. from you know just researching the brain to be like, because there's something profoundly beautiful about it for her. It was like it was it was transcendent. It was spiritual, like whatever. And for her, she's like, how do I encourage and get more people to have experiences? She's still looking at it from the scientific perspective, right? So she's like, she hasn't made that maybe mystical leap into like, maybe there's, you know, some metaphysical thing happening here. But, but I love her perspective. Like, I want more people to have experiences in, in their left brain or sorry, their right brain where they can have this way of being this way. There's so much peace there. She was described and stuff. And so for me, I think that it's in the abstract that God exists, right? Mm. And, I, and, I, and I, I don't believe that, you know, there's not rationality behind an existence of a, of a being. Like fundamentally, every single person desires to have purpose, right? And the only way to, I believe, philosophically to have purpose is if there's, there is a God. You're created. There's, there's intentionality, because every atheistic philosophy ultimately is built on like existentialism, which is you basically come to the conclusion that, that I'm the same value as a basketball and everything that I create in life is manufactured meaning. And I just got to come to grips with that. I'm making meaning out of things, but that's just the reality of all things. Nothing intrinsically has value. It's all kind of made up, but you just got to be okay with that. It's a very nihilistic way of being. And so I think an existential crisis is really healthy, but I think like rooting your life in existentialism can be very unhealthy. But anyways, um, so there's no atheistic philosophy that really answers that question of like, is there purpose? Like, do I have purpose? It can't satiate. And every single person has that. So even for me, I'm like, what are the chances that every single person has a desire to have purpose? And the only thing that can properly satiate that is a belief and a being that created you with purpose. And so therefore the logical deduction is like, it must, there must be something to that. Like, what are the chances that everyone has that d- desire and notion? Mm. Like, what evolutionary function does that desire and notion serve? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's my <laughs> opinion on that. 
So yeah. I forget where I was going with that. What was, where was I going with that? Oh, you're talking about your mom in 16 and the shift and, the, and telling her that you shifted. And that's where that conversation came out of. But could be on something totally different. I'm fine. You can bounce around all over the place. <laughs> Let me get you some more water. Uh, I'm just sipping away. Yeah. Yeah, I started out the conversation with Yeah, actually, last night at um, at CYM, uh, the, the youth, I was I was talking about some old Johnny stories. Oh, yeah. Old and storytelling figures. And I get that from uh, from your time on the platform at church, too, man. There's uh, <laughs> storytelling is a valuable uh, uh, trait. What's your what's your what's your what's your best story? I don't know. Um, I tell the story about my mother, um, you know, having that switch mm. on faith. Um, these type of questions always leave me frustrated because, you know, I remember watching City Slickers and being really upset that I couldn't figure out what the best day of my life was <laughs> mm. because everyone's had a child or got married or remember the first time they went out for a drink or drove a car or something. Nothing ever um, impacted me like that. I've never, I haven't been there yet. I haven't watched my bride walk down the aisle. I mm. haven't seen my baby born. I haven't hugged, hold my, you know. So I don't know if I have a favorite story, but I, I do enjoy them. I think it depends on who I'm sitting with and what they need or what they're not need. That's yeah, a, that's fair. Probably a, a too absolute a term, but um, I have a knack for um, calling people on their self-created lies mm. that they've invented as truth, and it doesn't take very long. And I'm not like I'm all in somebody's head and going to figure everyone out, but I think that most reasonable people appreciate being, hey, is that really real for you? Mm. What do you mean? You know, and then the defenses go up, and they're like, well, it's just, you know, you said a couple things that conflict each other, and I don't, I'm not really buying what you said, and I don't know you that well, but I would guess that this is something that you made up. It's not even true. And then they're like, okay, and now you stung them. Now they want to know more, right? So I think it depends who, because everything's a story. Hmm. So nothing's coming to me right now, but uh, I got a few of them. That's a, that was a good one. Uh, I mean, a story about my mother, you know. Hmm putting out the smoke and saying, Jimmy could never handle this. Hmm. I need to stay alive. So I'm going to make a deal now. And we're going to stay alive, right? Um, it's, good, it's good because um, every good st- this story, um, Donald Miller has a book called uh, he's um, Story Brand. But every good story has like a hero who goes on a journey, encounters a guide, a Yoda type, and then is confronted with a decision, and they make the decision for the good or the bad. And so that's just a c- classic good story. Uh-huh. Because your mom is confronted with a guide, which is that moment. That moment is in, in place of that guide, and she has a decision yeah. to make, and she mm-hmm. makes it for the good or the bad. And so, and then, you know, being faced with our mortality is something universal. And so. I used to come home. Well, not come home, I'd come home to my mom's place. I remember walking in on her one time, and she was in the she's in the kitchen watching church. I'm like, "What the hell are you doing?" Oh, I like him, Robert Schuler. You're kidding, right? Robert Schuler, the you know the Crystal Cathedral. I yeah, I don't know. He was the white haired TV preacher. Okay, I think I know what you're talking about. And now his son Bobby yeah. is. Oh, I think he forced out the. How does that work? You take over, you throw your old man out, and you become the lead preacher. Um, and uh, I remember, like, I'm an Eagles fan, as you can tell. Got a little bit of Eagles paraphernalia. And I've been an Eagles fan ever since I've been a football fan. I'm very loyal. And I started as a Philadelphia Flyer fan as a kid. And I think I just kind of was like, well, what's Philly up to in football? So when I got into football, Randall Cunningham was there. Anyway, um, uh, what was the story I was telling again? Uh, it was about it was about your mom. Yeah. What were you? Uh, 
brain farted on it. See? See what <laughs> happens? It'll come back to me. I used to think that that was a real problem. Like, I had something wrong with me. Every, Especially in this medium, everyone does it. You're like, you, you get... You get distracted, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, your mind goes blank. So the hard, the hard not... thing for me is that um, when I, like, can't remember a story or, like, when I have a thought, but then the conversation takes another turn, is to let my ego die and let the conversation go where it needs to go. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, totally everything in me is like, yeah, but back to what we were saying before, I had a story about, the, about yeah, that. I really got to make a point. And so, because <laughs> it's something, it's like self-awareness, because, like, the person who always like wants to redirect the story so they can fit in what they want to talk about and they don't let it take its natural course. It's like, it's all, it's like, it's like, it doesn't, it's not in harmony with, yeah. you know, what's happening. So that's something I'm like, I recognize that myself. I'm like, Oh yeah. I'll always like try to, I find myself telling stories at, at men's group only because it's a way of, for them to understand who I am because uh, I'm not simple. Uh, and, um, in, in this journey, in this, this deep dive into, well, why can't I put a finger on my favorite memory or just even a good, like, if you're to say, like, what's, you know, the best time of your life? I don't know. Give me a couple months and I'll get back to you. That's how I ex mm. my, expect my mind to work now because, like, it wasn't available for me there. And then I started searching for beauty and things that maybe I didn't think were so beautiful. I remember I was at a wedding, a Colombian wedding, a buddy of mine, a good friend of mine, still a good friend of mine, and my parents had, had split. They were divorced, or they had split, and there was tension, and they were at the same table, and I was a mess. And I'd probably been partying the night before, and, you know, it's my voice, right? And then, then the day of, it's a lot of pressure. And the Colombians, they do things, you know, they're Toronto Colombians too, so there was like, <laughs> there's no expense spared, and blah, blah, blah. And I remember being behind the wedding cake and hiding because I got, I got filled all up out of nowhere. I remember looking at my mom. She was with my uncle. My dad was with his girlfriend, and I, I lost it. I broke down. I was, I didn't know if it was so beautiful because uh, Luis and Anna were dancing, or I think it was the first dance, and I just, I lost it. Hmm. And I thought that was a bad day for me. And now, and then when I look back at it, I, I maybe it's because there wasn't enough good things to, you know, the best day of my life didn't immediately pop out for me. So I, I had to consider that one as a, yeah, as so, a shift where I was no, I filled with something and there was something else going on that had never been like, I'm not a big emotional guy, but like I was yeah. ruined. So it's interesting. Cause I, I think there's a reason why that's so profoundly important. Um, because we as human beings, have you ever seen the movie boyhood? I don't think so. So it was filmed over a course of 12 years with the same actors. And so this director found this, the kid and the sister and a mom, dad, and this whole family. They were obviously not related, but like the actors casted it. And for every year, for 12 years, they filmed for a month. And, and so and the, the movie is, is my favorite movie, uh, but some people are super frustrated by it because – there isn't really i don't want to say there's it's the most honest raw capture of what it mean what it feels like to be a human i think wow um but there's not a point by the end of the movie the only thing you're left with is like huh i get why he is the way he is <laughs> like there's not really like a crescendo there's not like a aha moment or anything like that there's just like a hmm i get him like it's like it's like after hearing somebody's life story and you feel like, oh, I just feel like I know you now. You know? It was like that, but in a movie form. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, the, the strange thing about that movie is they don't choose, like, these, like, crazy big moments. There's a couple, like, he gra his graduation and stuff like that. But he's, like, it literally jumps from, like, he's washing dishes at his job. And he has to talk with his boss. That's to, like, a great point. So, so, and then he jumps to, like, he's having a conversation with his dad in a truck. Mm -hmm. And then he's, like, you know, in, in, in the dark room. And his photography teacher has a conversation mm. with him and he's like, you know, standing in the kitchen with his mom. Like, it's just like literally scene to scene. But it's no. so seemingly random. But mm. what, it, what, it, what it kind of made me think was that life is actually just accumulation of just seemingly random moments that just shape us somehow. Mm. And so and I might be drawn to that notion because 
part of what I used to do was these like high school motivational presentations where you try to create that a moment, like an impactful moment to help people. Yeah, you want to be the guy that I remember in grade 10, I saw Johnny Henderson came to my school, changed my life forever, that type of. Yes, yeah. So, but manufactured, like deliberately. Yeah, so like it would be a motivational presentation. So I had a, had an objective, right? So the objective would be like empathy, help, help students understand what empathy is and how empathy can positively impact their life. Um, but because you don't want to be disillusioned to say like, Oh, this is going to make all the difference. Right. But at the same time, there is this abstract reality to like any random moment can change someone's life. The possibilities. And so, and like, and I, and I had that, I had that actually incredible experience where I went back to a school a year later and a girl like came up to me crying and, uh, she kind of expressed that after last year when I was at the present school sharing my story, she decided to check herself into a mental health institution. She kept my signature on her wall the whole time she was there. And she said, if you could get through what you went through, then I knew I could get what I went through. Wow. And I'm like, that was a humbling experience. Cause it wasn't like a moment of like, Oh, look at me. It was like, who am I? Right? Like I'm like, I like but that very a shadow away was like a 16 year old depressed kid who didn't want to live. And now I'm standing in this moment where I get to be that person for her. Like who the heck am I? Like how, like what a Well, that privilege. could have very easily just completely pumped up your ego. You could have taken yeah. that on as like, look at me. Who am I? Yeah. yeah. You know? So. Yeah. No, but it was, it was a very humbling, like what the heck? How do I get this? How does this happen? Life is strange and weird. But anyways, all to say is that there is merit to that profound moment where life just captures you and it, it does it affects your human your heart and it catches you by surprise and that that opens up a couple cool stories for me that i've told many times and there, there was a there was a time when i was um i don't know grade six seven eight somewhere in there and i had uh left my books at britain's place we lived at scott and bunting so or on the north side of Scott, Britain was over on Wakeham, uh, Royal Manor. And Jim Britton, still, I just saw him the other day, James Britton. Now he goes by, he's a realtor, and, uh, you know. Um, he was one of my best friends in grade six, seven, something like that. And I was leaving my place on Two's Place. My parents had a, well, we all had our house, on a little uh, circle off of Tavistock there. And I was going to Britain's to get my, my books. I wasn't, there was no rush i wasn't in trouble there wasn't like i was just oh i'm gonna walk over to jim Britton's get my books and i remember it, it was it was really snowy like it just like a you know and this the sound dampening mm. that comes with a, a major snowfall everything's super quiet mm. and i hit this this peaceful state unbeknownst like I don't know how I got there I don't think I've ever gotten back but I remembered this strange joy of elation 